Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I am your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I'm going to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. In this episode number 280, I have the privilege of inviting Rachel Macy Stafford, hands-free mama, onto the show. Opening that door to being human actually brings us closer together. Then we can connect from that place of, I'm struggling. And that doesn't mean there's something wrong with me. That doesn't mean I need to hide it. It means I need to reach out and talk to someone about this so we can work together to see how we might go forward. And that's why this book is all about redefining what our role is as a parent. It is not the authoritarian model anymore. It is the guide, the truth teller, the encourager, um, not the enforcer, not the half listener, not the critic. Those roles are only going to get us further and further from each other. When the idea is right now, we need to come closer Rachel's a New York Times best-selling author. She's the mom to two. She started the Hands-Free Mama movement years ago, and now she has a new book coming out at the end of April. It's called Live Love Now. Relieve the pressure and find real connection with your kids. And in this episode, she shares a little bit of why she wrote that, how she felt disconnected from her own people, and how she was believing a lie that in order to be loved and accepted, she needed to hide the messy and imperfect parts of her story. But... When she actually was vulnerable with her daughter, she found the acceptance and love she'd been longing for and a connection that is helping them in their communication to this day. I wanted to let you know a couple things before we get started in the interview. One, stick around at the 30 minute mark. Rachel shares a reasonability test that I think is really helpful for us in this season on not just reacting to our people, but responding reasonably. Also, she shares a sweet gratitude idea that she's doing with her girls that I think in a time when some some days it's hard to find the good, uh, a great way to do that. And lastly, because Rachel loved being on the show and she was so excited, we've decided to push the release of this episode up and she's giving y'all free access to seven days of her 21-day self-care audio series. So if you go to handsfreemama.com forward slash Heather, you're going to find free access to seven days of this audio series. You'll also see that there's pre-order stuff available. I'll talk about that at the end of the episode. Really great resources uh, for us in this time, especially. All right, let's get to my chat with Rachel. Here we go. Rachel, welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I have already loved chatting with you and getting to know you and... I've heard of your work. I've been watching from afar for so long with the hands-free mama movement and book. And then this new book, Live Love Now, Relieve the Pressure and Find Real Connection with Our Kids, came at a really needed time for me with boys that are one teenager, one moving into the teenage years. So I'm thrilled to have you on and share your wisdom with everyone listening. So thank you. Thank you. Okay, let's get into it. You're just, (laughs) you have so much goodness to share. Talk to us about the motivation behind this book. What was going on in your own heart related to mothering that prompted you? Well, 
it was interesting because I published Only Love Today and my publisher was very eager to start talking about the next book and what, you know, what's your plan? And I said, you know, I'm going to need to step back and I'm, I just want to connect with people for a while. I want to really kind of get in touch with what's on people's hearts. And that was kind of just really a prayer an intention that I just put out there. And Interestingly enough, um, as a special education teacher for 10 years, um, I started getting invited back into the classroom Hmm. and they wanted me to come and talk about being an author. Well, I really value the insights um, from kids and feel like my own children have been my greatest teachers. And so I use that opportunity as a chance to do just what I wanted to do, which was connect with people, find out what, what are people really struggling with right now? So through an an exercise that I called the index card exercise, I was able to acquire a great bit of information from students about the stressors, the challenges, the worries, the hopes and the dreams that a lot of teens are facing right now in the world. And I started kind of grappling with, you know, what do I do with this information? And as I started thinking more and more about how could I bring this to the world, because I told the kids every time I would ask them to participate, I would say, I want to amplify your voices. And I realized a lot of the things that they were talking about that they were struggling with, technology, lack of feeling prepared and having life skills and feeling isolated and rejected and unseen, I thought, wow, this is a lot of things that I have dealt with in my own life and have done a lot of healing through all of these little strategies that I've been using over the last nine years um, on my hands-free journey. So it all just became really crystal clear that it was time to write another book and I had to be really, really vulnerable. So that meant sharing a lot of the painful moments of my own parenting journey, but it also enabled me to share where we are now in our family. And that's where the hope really comes in. And so it was about a two-year process of having this on my heart when I couldn't deny it anymore. And then it's, then it just kind of came pouring out, but not easily, (laughs) not easily, but, um, you know, because when you are sharing your most vulnerable truths in order to give someone a lifeline, you know, it's painful, but anytime someone extends their hands and grabs that lifeline and says, this is just what I needed. You have that validation that, okay, when we see each other's scars, we love each other more. That's what I believe. So that's what this whole book, it's just really this vulnerable, open lifeline to anyone who's just feeling like they're not connected to the people in their house, the people they love, that their own heart you know, this is, this is kind of like a map to how do we reach each other when there's so many obstacles in our way? I think 
you and I are recording this while the world is shut down. Um, well, except for the medical world, but all the rest of us are sheltering in place or choosing to stay home. And a piece of that, I'm guessing, is the distractions are going away or a lot of the distractions. We can still choose digital distractions and other things, but it might be forcing some families to face the disconnection in a way that is uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And moms might be feeling what you came to realize. Wow. Hold the phone, put on the brakes, publisher. I need to reconnect with people in general, my people. Yeah. And I was curious when you were doing the hands-free mama stuff, it's this <laughs> tension between I'm encouraging people to step away from the technology. And yet I know the online world, you're still supposed to promote and create content digitally. Is that a piece of where you found yourself like because of creating all the content you had pulled away from your people? I was just like, wow, God, thanks a lot. You you (laughs) gave me this message about letting go of all the distractions. And yet I have to go online, you know, to get the message out. And And a lot of people, you know, rightly so, didn't understand. And, you know, so there's, there's a lot of criticism that comes with that. But the hands-free message is not about, like, abandoning technology after, you know, altogether. Right. But, you know, using it as a tool. And that's something that I love to share with people is the awareness around the distraction. That is a powerful weapon because once you become aware how you are using it possibly to isolate yourself or to numb your feelings or to um, ignore pain then you can kind of say all right this is not healthy this is not how I want to live this is this is not the example that I want to provide mm-hmm. so that awareness I try to say to people if you realize you've been on your phone a lot, that's not a moment to guilt yourself or shame yourself. That's a moment to say, well, you know what? I commend myself for, for seeing this. Now, what am I going to do differently? So that changes everything because when you shame yourself for things that you realize you're doing that are sabotaging your life and your relationships, it's not going to get better. But like what I say in Live Love Now in the first part of the book is, The truth is not the end. The truth is the beginning. And so once you acknowledge this painful truth that, okay, I'm hurting myself by doing this. I'm hurting my child by doing this. Now you can face it and you can make small steps to change it. And so, yes, this work that is required to do online it's a lesson in itself about creating boundaries. And, and once you have awareness and once you create boundaries and say, I am not going to let the world have this part of me, this part of my life. And then you lay down a firm boundary and you tell everyone in your house, we eat dinner together with no phones or when we ride in the car, we put our phones away. We're not talking on the phone. We're not texting. We're, you know, these are things that I tell my teenagers. We have this time together. We're going to be together. And once you start laying those boundaries and you show them how to do it, that's so enriching to not only your 
current life, but you're enriching their future life because you're showing them this is how you live with healthy life tech boundaries because they need that. They absolutely need that. Yeah. So helpful. And I think especially if we are realizing, wow, I do go numb out. When the kids start fighting, I go to Instagram. Or right. when I am trying to find some control, when everything feels out of control, I'm going to yes. go to CNN. Whatever yes. it is, information or whatever our coping mechanism is. So I think you're so right. And then when we're not talking about digital and we're recognizing, wow, okay, I have been going to other things and I am disconnected from my people. Mm-hmm. When you were in that place, what were you feeling and what kind of kept you there? Well, as I talk about in the book, there, there, there are some long-held damaging beliefs that I carried. I didn't really understand why was it so important to have this facade of perfection, to portray myself as having it all together, that I was joyful and fulfilled and life was perfect and everything was good. Like, why was that so important? And something I talk about in the book is this notion that I believed that I needed to hide certain parts of myself, the the messy parts, the imperfect parts, in order to be loved and accepted. Hmm. That's what I believed. And I found through my online course and my writing that a lot of people have this belief that what we do and our achievements and how we portray ourselves is what makes us worthy of love which really actually separates ourselves from truly being loved. Because if you think about who are the people that make you feel most loved, those are the people who accept you as you are. And they don't expect of you. They just delight in you. And so there was a pivotal moment early in my hands-free journey where I voiced something to my daughter, Natalie, who was about seven at the time, something I'd never told anybody out loud. I said, sometimes I am mean to myself and I take it out on you. And she did not look scared or sad by this information. In fact, she looked hopeful, Hmm. like okay, mom's telling me something that's really important. And then the next thing I said to her was, I don't know how, but I'm praying that I can change and that I can learn to be kind to myself so then it ripples out and I can be kind to you. And I'm going to work on this. That was a life-changing moment to open myself up to her that way to say, this is what I do and I'm going to pray for change. And that's when my humanness stopped being a scary secret. Hmm. And over time I realized I was, I had gotten it wrong that that perfect parenting is not required to raise resilient and capable and fulfilled kids. In fact, the more human we are about 
our struggles, our stumbles, our insecurities, the more we allow them to be human. And then we work together on having tools for coping with life's challenges. That, that opening that door to being human actually brings us closer together. Then we can connect from that place of, I'm struggling. And that doesn't mean there's something wrong with me. That doesn't mean I need to hide it. It means I need to reach out and talk to someone about this so we can work together to see how we might go forward. And that's why this book is all about redefining what our role is as a parent. It is not the authoritarian model anymore. It is the guide, the truth teller, the encourager, um, not the enforcer, not the half listener, not the critic. That Those roles are only going to get us further and further from each other. When the idea is right now, we need to come closer. We need to be able to reach each other that, that piece about being human, oh my goodness, if people just take one thing from the book and start to just try to show up as they are um, and accept their children for who they are, that will undoubtedly change their relationship and their future path. Mm. So powerful. So many things that you said, the image of your daughter just relieved at your revealing and vulnerability and letting her in even at seven like you said I'd mentioned for my teens but this this isn't something you have to wait until you have preteens or teens I feel like you're almost taking on a, a new role so often we're just copying what we knew as parents yeah and so yes. it's uncomfortable and it's hard to attempt a different approach so maybe yes. we were critiqued our whole upbringing. So we hear that critical voice. And so to not be critical requires a major filtering and a choice in the moment to be accepting. And it's hard. But I love that you were talking about that moment of being vulnerable. Well, you encouraged us to be that person and to choose that moment. What advice do you have for someone to take that step? Like how would they choose to push past what is comfortable and embrace that humanness? Well, I'm going to give an example for kind of maybe a little bit of an older child, although actually this probably would work for any age, honestly. But what I tell parents of teens who read my work and they say, I think it's too late. I think I have uh, the damage is done. I've been a critic the whole, their whole life. Um, I've driven them away. You know, is it too late? And what I tell them, and, and, you know, this is after speaking to a lot of different young people, and they desperately want to be seen and heard and listened to and trusted. And so I often tell parents, you know, you might just say, I would like to, to talk to you um, sometime today when it's a good time for you. I want to share something that, that's really on my heart, that's really been troubling me. 
And then, so then you'll know it's a good time because you don't want to come in there when they're in the middle of something, but you know, give yourself that space. And then you might say, I've been doing a lot of thinking about how I've been treating you, how I've been communicating with you. And I really deeply regret the way that I've talked to you, the way that I haven't listened to you, the way that I've tried to micromanage you. This is all new to me because of the way that maybe I was raised or whatever you want to say there. But you say, you know, this is, this is hard for me. And I feel very sad that I've really cut off a chance to celebrate who you are because I know I haven't said it, but I feel so proud of who you are and I want what's best for you in life. And, and sometimes my critiquing and my pushing and my dictating you that that's all me trying to give you a good life. But now I understand that this is hindering you. It's making you feel like you're not enough. But what I want to say to you right now is I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I didn't see what I was doing until now. And now I'm going to do everything I can to stop being that person in your life and be an encourager to you, to be a believer in that you already know a lot of the things that you need to do and you know who you are. And I'm going to try to listen if you will allow me a second chance. And that's kind of a framework for what I would say when you're trying to kind of turn a page and start over just to be really honest and and apologetic, you know, I think they see that we're learning, but the minute that we say, well, it's because I, I did this because of this, this, and this, well, that that's not a true, genuine apology, and they will see through that. And you might ask even, how can I support you? What feels like support in your life? What, what do I do that shuts you down? And if they're more comfortable Something that I like to do is have a notebook that kind of goes back and forth between you. And maybe you don't feel comfortable saying that. So maybe you write it and maybe you give it to them in a notebook and you say, I welcome you to write back to me. I will not judge you. I will listen and be prepared because if you open that door for healing, you might hear some things that are going to hurt. But remember, the truth is not the end. The truth is the beginning. And the more human that you are with them, the more human they can be with you. And in that light of realness, I believe that is where true connection and true belonging form. It's so helpful. And like you had said, it's the people who loved us unconditionally and accepted us for who we are that stand out from our childhood. I can, I can remember every, you know, that ballet teacher, or even my dad, I mean, different people that weren't constantly trying to make us into the best version of ourselves. Yes. <laughs> um, but I can also, in my head, hear the devil's advocate saying, yeah, but sometimes kids need to be corrected. Or I'm thinking about the teenage years or even 
I have all boys. So you'll get the teacher call about the misbehavior. And in those moments, when the child is gone awry, what's the best way to approach and stay connected and yet redirect and realize that we're still training them? Yes, that's a great question. And I do, I go into that in chapter three um, because it's so important. You know, there's a fine line there. It's yeah. like, well, I want them to feel accepted and love, but they can, that doesn't mean they can just do whatever because sometimes they are going to make mistakes <laughs> and it is going to take them on a damaging path. Yeah. So what I'll give you another example about this because I think examples are really powerful. But I noticed my teenager was keeping some really late hours. Hmm. And naturally, as parents do, we think the worst. Like, oh, she's probably got her phone in there. You know, like the phone, we try to keep the phones out of the bedrooms at nights. Very, very important. For, for health and men, mental health and physical health. But, you know, I'm, I'm thinking all the worst. Like she's goofing off in there. She's not doing what she's supposed to. She's keeping these late hours. So I went in and rather than start from a place of accusation, mm-hmm. which I think we do sometimes and assuming the worst, I started from a place of compassion. And, and that was a question. I, I noticed you've been staying up really late. Talk to me about what's going on. And there was some defensiveness at first and, and some strong emotion, but that meant to me that, okay, something is going on here. Yeah. And so what happened was she kind of unleashed on me about how much pressure she was feeling from all the things that she was managing in her life and some of her classes were not going as she hoped them to go, you know, so imagine the frustration you're working as hard as you can and your grades are not reflecting that. So then you're feeling like a failure. So then you're staying up late and then your mom comes in and, you know, so I really tried to step into her shoes. And I, when, when we do see our kids doing things that are damaging And we think they could do better. You know, it's very important to come at them from a kind of like that they're the expert in this situation, that you're not coming in to tell them what to do. And and so to go on with my story, after she unleashed that, I offered some validation. You know, I see how hard you are working. I'm so sorry that your grades are not reflecting that, that, that must be so hard. And so they need to know that you hear them, you hear and you see where they are. And then my next question was, can you think of something we could do so that you could go to bed even 30 more minutes earlier? Can we come up with a plan together? Because when you offer your child's input, and whatever that problem is, one, you're showing them that you trust them, that they're capable, that you believe that they have an answer, that maybe they haven't been able to come up, you know, with all this going on, but you're getting quiet, you're getting focused, you're going to talk about this, come up with it together. And 
when, when it's not you telling them, okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to be in bed by 1030 every night. No ifs, ands, or buts, you know, there's not going to be any buy-in with that. They're going to feel like you are not on their team. So when you go into a problem with compassion, prepared to listen and validate and then work together, you're showing them, hey, I'm on your side. I'm not one more thing that's on your back. Because that's what I heard from teenagers over and over and over is my parents don't understand how much I'm managing. Right. So just don't be that added pressure. Be a safe haven. And yes, once you become that encourager rather than an enforcer, it's likely that they will let you in to the problems that they're facing. Because believe me, our teenagers are encountering things they are not telling us about. Yeah. I don't want to be that parent who doesn't know that my child is navigating a very bad online situation by herself. Yeah. But when I was the micromanager, when I was the critic, when I was the enforcer, her room, her door was shut. Mm. She did not want me to come in there. She's 16 now, and my husband even commented how much she is in the main parts of our house. Hmm. You know, she doesn't have to hide things from us because we took a different role. It wasn't working. The, the other role of being the one in charge, the one with all the answers, that, that does not work with teenagers today. Yeah. And it is a hard thing to switch from. And you think, well, oh, but if I release control, they're going to go wild. But honestly, if you surrender control and trust and, and say, I believe you can, tell, tell me what your ideas are, you will be surprised at how they rise to that level because you are offering them that belief. Do you know what came to my head? What? Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Tell me what, tell me why. I just watched it on our break here. And I was thinking about Ferris's parents who it wasn't like they were connected because they were still clueless. They just believed like he was an angel and, you know, overly extended the grace to the point that it was like ridiculous. They were so clueless. Yeah. I don't think that's what you're talking about. But then there was his friend who was under the thumb of a parent who was so authoritative. He was so, he was terrified of his dad. He was in a depression. Anyway, I just was thinking of those two examples and just the history of time after generations of disconnected teens from their parents and how many movies are about that or books or storylines and how even the memes or the videos my boys might show me are like jokes comedians will make of how their parents are just yelling at them to take out the trash and yelling and yelling and yelling. And anyway, how it could be different. So this book, y'all, I was reading it over spring break and from chapter one, I was already like, Oh yes, I need to work on my acceptance of my boys for who they are. And then the chapter on, rejection and how I'm really fearing my own rejection. And that's been a storyline throughout my parenting, you know, 
boys can be a little wild in front of other people. And so I'm trying to control them. So people think I'm a good mom, which is so unrealistic because you can't control anyone, particularly toddler boys. And so just already, I'm I'm just getting into the book, but Rachel, you do such a good job of weaving those index cards from the teens, giving them a voice, helping us all hear what a current generation is trying, (laughs) is screaming silently. And then also your own stories of just being vulnerable about your struggles and then giving real practical examples. Y'all, this is not just a theory book. I mean, there are, every chapter has multiple real things you could do today. And I feel like in our season of quarantine and sheltering in place, what I brought up to uh, Rachel was this reasonability test, which I think, do you mind us talking a little bit before we go? I think it's just a super helpful thing we could implement even in these weeks. So the reasonability test really came into my life when my family was going through a season. It was a spring season, much like this one where the, where our whole world turned upside down and we were experiencing a lot of loss, a lot of hormonal changes, turmoil with friendships and academic overload. I mean, you name it, we had it. And what I decided was that I was going to try very, very hard to not be reactive to the emotions that I was sure were going to be coming because we were just in this really difficult time. Um, Because I know myself, and let me just tell you, when my family members are being sassy, I want to control. And when they're anxious, you know, I want to jump in there and reassure and fix. I know my defaults and they're not helpful. So what I've learned is the more shaky the people in my family are, the more I need to be steady, the more I need to be a calming presence. And as hard as it is, the payoff is huge when you can embrace that role. And so this reasonability test helps me very, very much. When I'm in conflict with someone in my family, I check myself. You know, when there's that pushback, I ask myself, okay, is what I'm asking or saying reasonable? Do I sound like a voice of reason right now? And does my body language match my words? So see, sometimes we're just mimicking what they're doing. So maybe they're not coming, following through with the things they're supposed to do around the house. You know, I like to call them family contributions. Thanks to my friend, Amy McCready. <laughs> chores is love like, her. yes, but family contributions love that. But you know, mm-hmm. not everybody's on board with the family contributions. And it's like, Oh, you know, there's a trail here. And I <laughs> didn't, I ask them to pay, you know, so, so we want to think about, all right, am I asking what is reasonable? Like maybe this is not a good time or maybe I'm not asking in a way that's very kind or respectful. So kind of check yourself. If you're, if the answer's no, you're not being reasonable, then that's a good time to make an adjustment with yourself. If you are being reasonable, 
And you've, you know, kind of checked like, well, I gave her time to do that. I asked respectfully, you know, this is, this is not out of the question. I'm, I'm being calm. Then that's when I step into asking or offering some solutions. One of them is help. Something like, okay, I see you haven't done this. Is there a reason? Are you maxed out right now? What's going on with you? That how can I help kind of question when they're melting down, it feels like support rather than uh, right. Mm -hmm. Then, then there's also validation. I see that you really, really wanted to keep whatever doing your (laughs) Minecraft thing. I really see that you are having fun with that. But right now, this is what we need to do. And then space, you know, you might, someone's melting down because you've put a boundary. You've said, this is, this is what you need to do. I've asked you to do this. And they're having a meltdown, which oftentimes is really, there's a deeper meaning for that. There's something going on there, which, but that's not the time to probably figure it out. But then you say, I see that you're not handling this you know, very calmly, it looks like you need some space, or I see that you need some space. You maybe don't even make judgment about what you see. I see you need space. And then you can come back around. But when you're in that conflict, it doesn't help to be unreasonable, to add to the conflict with your own anger, frustration. So when it's calm, then you can, that can be a teaching moment. You know, I asked you to get off the computer and you, this is what you did. This was your response. Now, that's not helpful to, to what we're trying to accomplish here. You know, it's not helpful to getting your other things done. So can you tell me how would you, how would you like to monitor your time on that computer? What are your ideas? It's, it's always good. I, I just think asking them first before we say, well, this is what I think we should do. Asking them, letting them have some say. And one thing I do want to say, I've I've just really, I've done a lot of podcast interviews and this has been just really one of the most beneficial ones. So I want to just share something kind of that goes with everything that we've talked about and it really speaks to where we are right now is it is so important right now in the midst of all of these expectations is a good word for like what we are feeling in this time that we have at home. It's like our kids are being expected to do a lot. We're expected to keep being productive with our jobs and also helping them with their learning. And then all the other things that we might be facing with, job loss and elderly uh, family members. We, we could be in the medical field or other essential workers that are still having to go out um, on the front lines. And so there's so, so much that people are handling right now. And it's very easy to fall into that dictator role, that micromanager, because, you know, we think control makes us feel better. Yeah. But what I realized last week with my own family is I was seeing 
a lot of what they weren't accomplishing rather than what they were accomplishing. And right now, the saving grace, I think, in all of us is to keep pointing to our strengths, keep pointing to the things that we're doing, the, the, the ways that we're being creative, the ways that we're being helpful. And I started a little journal for each of my daughters. You know, last week was our first week of the quarantine. And so I just labeled it quarantine, something quarantine journal week one. And then I wrote, you shined when. And it makes me cry, makes me cry a little bit because it is so hard to keep focusing on what is good when it's so hard, when life is really hard and you're worried about people that you love. And, and so I, I wrote, you shined when, and then I went to my husband and I was like, when did you see Natalie and Avery do something, you know, positive or helpful? And then he started and then I shared and it was really beautiful to spend that time with him focusing on what the ways that our daughters were being resilient and they were doing things, you know, that, that kind of made us either laugh or just um, gave us a sense of like, wow, I didn't know they could do that, you know? And so this little journal that we're going to, I'm going to just keep taking to them at the end of each week And one of them I gave in person because that's her personality. And the other one I just set on her bed because that's her personality. And I just want to share that tool. Um, You shined when. And then perhaps they can also talk about when they themselves shined. So you're, you're pointing out to your child, this is when you shined. They might say, oh, I didn't even realize that then you're, you're giving them that tool so that they can start to validate themselves. Because the way that we shine during this trying time, it's not going to look like typical measurement, measurements of success. Yeah. And so that, that in itself is hugely beneficial to their future lives is to say, well, yeah, okay, so maybe I'm feeling really overwhelmed by all this online work that I'm doing, but look at this structure that I built out of toothpicks, you know, (laughs) or my daughter's making a pandemic journal out of like, she's doing all this scrapbooking and she, every day she has me take a picture of her and her sister with the Polaroid. And I look at that journal and I'm, I just have a sense of awe about what our kids are capable of and what this time, this test will do to their uh, resilience muscles. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So just keep pointing to the strengths and, and just uh, see those in yourself too. That's, yeah, that's, that's what that's I was thinking. The, that's always the hardest one. I was thinking of how, of how uh, us moms are feeling the burden of being so many different things as so many different people and, the pressures of that and the performance and just resting in maybe the way you shine today was getting that hot chocolate in a mug without a bad attitude or whatever it was to take note of those little ways that you are showing up and it, and it may not be a productive task or, you know, all the sponsored right. ads I'm getting of like, learn Russian. Okay. I may not learn Russian by the end <laughs> of the quarantine, but I my know. people may have survived and thrived and 
Um, and that's a lot. That's a lot. Right, I know, I know right. mom friends that, you know, they have spouses that are possibly diagnosed positive. And so they're having to do all of this song and dance alone. And even the single mom friends I have are yes. extremely isolated. So to take note of those ways and maybe it's a meal outside on a picnic blanket or something that yeah. um, be kind to yourself <laughs> too. We're talking about accepting and loving and belonging for our kids, but that has to start with our own inner that's monologues. So, so, so important. Thank you for including that. That's definitely part of my book because when, you know, you offer that compassion and acceptance to yourself, it, it just, it really does. It has a way of rippling out. And so thank you. This has been such a valuable conversation. I can't wait to share it. Oh, you're so sweet. Well, thank you, Rachel, for being with us. We'll put links to all your stuff in our show notes and where they can get the book. Thank and you. we'll just pray Amazon is <laughs> up and running and ready. And I know I know that these words will live long past um, any such thing as Corona. So thank you mm. for writing them down and for encouraging all of us and connection and um, blessings to your family. Blessings to your family and to all of your listeners too. Okay. Well, I am praying for all of us. I'm praying that we can be people who are accepting of one another, especially in this time of COVID-19, that we would recognize how uniquely we are wired and how uniquely we respond to this crisis and give each other grace for different responses on a different day. And one day I could be feeling joy and contentment and hope. And another day I feel like I've been punched in the gut and I'm grieving and fearful. And so I need my people to accept my shifts and my emotional state. And we need to accept one another. Some of us are going to be in our minds think that someone is overly concerned and some are thinking they're under concerned. They're not concerned enough. They're over responding. They're doing too much. Instead of judging someone else's response, let's just love people where they are. Give grace for whatever emotion they're having that day. None of us have done this before. And so we are all doing the very best that we can. And that is enough. I wanted to point you again to Rachel's website, handsfreemama.com forward slash Heather for that seven-day audio self-care series. Each one is like five minutes, 10 minutes uh, for the welcome message. And you get that for free. As a listener, it's fantastic. She's so kind to our community. Also, if you do pre-order her book, she has tons of really great downloads. Let me tell you, there's one called Heart Questions versus Performance Questions, Practice Phrases That Take You from Conflict to Calm, How to Consider If You Are an Easy-to-Be-Around Adult, and a phone lock screen that's Connecting by Protecting. I'm going to pray for us right now. Lord, I thank you for who you are and that you loved us so much that you sent your son, that you don't expect anything from us besides belief in you, belief in your son. I thank you that he did not stay dead, that he rose again, that we get to celebrate how you conquered death, that our eternal life starts at the moment of belief and that we can take comfort that death has no hold on us. Our eternal life has already started. I pray that we can love and accept each other well in this season of stress and that we can see the good that you're doing, that we can pray first instead of last. And I, I just 
pray for a connection, stronger connection in each of the homes across the globe, Lord. And Jesus' name, amen. Okay, y'all. Well, I've been connecting with you in new and fun ways during this situation. One is on Instagram. I did a couple lives this last week. If you're ever on Instagram, you can check those out. Unfortunately, they only last for like 24 hours. Um, I did one with a friend and one where I talked about some things I learned from Dr. Henry Cloud. And then I also got to pop in on some podcast clubs this week that we're meeting remotely. And so if you're interested in starting a DMA podcast club, it's like a book club, but they discuss the podcast, go to don'tmomalone.com forward slash join and you can check it out. It's kind of a good time to stay connected with your people. Um, On your own time, you listen to the podcast episode and then we give you discussion questions and y'all just talk. Um, It's a good excuse to get together and make the time to stay connected. All right, praying for y'all. Love ya. Have a fantastic week. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.